You know, Fellowship Bible Church is here to promote that message that you guys just sang. We want to live that, not just sing it. And, and that is that you are here and you're alive to God because of the work of Jesus. It's not your own good works. It's not your own intentions. It's all because of Jesus. We want everyone to know that message. So those who have this perception of religion that it's all about your works, it's all about coming to church, it's all about giving in the offering, it's all about doing good things, can totally be blown away by the grace of God. That's what biblical Christianity is. It's a relationship of grace, not a religion of works. And you know, when we sing that, it's easy to sing it and we proclaim that, but we want to give that to people around us. We want to really show lives that are living because of the work of Christ. And uh, that takes us, calls us to be humble, doesn't it? And, and recognize our need for Jesus. And that picture of the cross is a picture of his death, but it's also a picture of our death where we died to ourselves in order to live to God. And I want to talk to you about that as we continue our, uh, our series this morning called Search and Rescue. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 today. You know, as you think about advancing God's uh, kingdom in your life and through your life, uh, we want you to be connected into this church body and, and have this be your church home. And as a church, we're going to be uh, headed for this fall and making a few changes and adding some services on, on Sunday morning. And we want everyone to be on the same page. So if you have yet to come to a vision gathering, please come to either tonight or tomorrow night. You can sign up in that flap on your bulletin. But we want everybody to know where we're headed and everybody to be connected with that vision so that we can all do that together and do this as a family. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is this whole concept of, author, of, of uh, honor. Honor. And I want you to, you know, it's kind of an older word. We don't usually keep honor. We don't usually say honor a whole lot unless we work in the, in the military or something like that. But honor is, is, um, is a word that encompasses much more than just character and integrity, but it's the observed character and integrity fleshed out through ex- the experiences and challenges of life. And you know, honor empowers authority. Your words have more weight because of the honor of your life. And therefore, if your words don't have a lot of respect, it's usually to the lack of honor. And you think about when we're to give honor to God, we, we give him, we, we call him who he is, we worship him, but we also don't just make these theological statements to him. We also, the weight of his word to us becomes an authority in our lives. It's because who he, who God is that gives this book such great power and such great purpose in our lives. And honor is the result of a life lived for Christ. You know, last week we looked at 14 different verses that uh, looked at the goal of search and rescue. Remember that? Everybody connected into a sincere love of a family. Everyone connected to a spiritual home of community. Well, this week we want to, we want to elevate the value of honor in our lives through these two verses. Let's just read them together. First Peter chapter two, verse 11. Follow along. Dear friends, 
I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, the first thing I want to talk to you about honor in this passage is that honor protects a life from evil. It it addresses a, a real picture of an attack here, a war waged on your soul, and honor protects you from evil. Look at that. It says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. One of the first pictures that we're given here is your connection to heaven. Take a look at that. It says, I urge you as alien and strangers in the world. This, this, is, uh, this is something that Peter's mentioned earlier. Remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he said that we are elect of God, strangers in this world, scattered throughout the world. And then in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. There's a picture, there's an image he's giving you of your identity, that this earth is not your true home, that this earth is only part of the story, it's not the whole story, that you have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, which will never perish, never spoil, never fade. The first recipients of this letter from Peter were people who were literally suffering and dying for the cause of Christ, and he was calling them to hold Hold firm to the hand of God. Be faithful to him and advance the kingdom of God. Remember in the New Testament, when people were scattered due to persecution, God was always advancing the kingdom of God. And God is doing the same thing today. He scattered us. He's placed you in Topeka, Kansas on this Sunday morning. And he wants you to scatter when we leave here all over this city and to represent and in, in honoring to God, be an honorable person that promotes his message through your life, through everyone you come in contact with. But you're connected to heaven. You're connected to heaven. You're an alien here and you're a stranger in the world. One question I have for you real quickly is if this is true about you, if this is what the word of God says about who you are as a follower of Christ, then what was it about this week that's been a clear indication that your true home is in heaven? What behavior, what thoughts, what actions, what what attitudes have you had this week that will last for eternity, that made a statement that this earth is not all that there is to you. Cricket? <laughs> the, the, the reality is, is, if we are not, if we don't wake up and look at yourself like an alien or stranger here, you will never be intentional to make an eternal decision with your life. It will only be about you. It will only be about the next task, the next agenda item, the next to-do list, the next activity for the kid to chase. If you do not wake up with a conscious understanding of that, that this is not your true home, that your primary connection, your primary... I mean, if you were to have a spiritual passport, you would be a citizen of heaven, not of this earth. That's who you are. 
And as a follower of Christ, that is your primary connection. Because if your eyes and preoccupation are facing a downward position, you will not be able to live an upward life. The more consumed you are with the activities of this world, the more distracted you will be to see the agenda of heaven. And so scripture calls us in there as an alien, as a stranger in this world. And then it gives us the next thing. It talks not only of our connection to heaven, but also our combat with hell. And we are in combat with hell. It says uh, to abstain from of sinful desires, which war against your soul. Here it is. You're not just in a vacuum where you can determine you simply want to live away from God and your life will be just fine. Your life will either war against God or it will battle the power of Satan. God will either be a huge threat to you that you will will object to and you will go passive with and you'll stay on the sidelines, which that is as good as gone. To just watch and not to be involved in what God is doing. Or... You will take your role that God has given you as a citizen of heaven and you will combat evil here on this earth. This isn't just good, you know, butterfly kisses kind of songs going through here on Sunday morning. This is true good and evil, heaven and hell battle. Because the picture is, is it says it wars against your soul. Now your soul is the most important part of you. It is the part that's going to last for eternity. And and you may think the most important part of me is my athletic ability or the most important part of me is my mind and my intellect. The most important part of me is the, the ability for me as a doctor or a physician or a dentist or whatever to do things and to to know how to do those things. And I take great pride in that. But your most important part of you is your spiritual side, your spiritual life. And therefore, we can put all that time in staying fit. We can put all that time on being the top of our game, but we can ignore all all along the most important part of you, and that's your spiritual side, your soul. And your soul is the target of Satan. He wants to rob you. He wants to make you inactive. He wants to neutralize you. He wants to hold you captive to all these other things of this earth and not be focused on your spiritual lives. And here it talks about these sinful desires And the Bible defines these sinful desires in multiple places. They include things like sexual immorality. They include things like addictions, like anger, like rage, like gossip, like malice, like self-centeredness. Anything that's outside of the heart of God, anything that practices an independent life away from God is a sinful desire. That feeling of competency, that feeling of I'm doing fine just on my own without God, without recognizing him and bringing glory to him is a sinful desire. Yourself, when you crave yourself and the advancement, the promotion or the protection of your image is a sinful desire. Scripture just brings it out. That's what it is. And here it said that that it wages war against your soul and the goal is to make us a prisoner of our desires. And so under the perception of freedom away from God, we actually become a prisoner 
of our desires. It's like Bob Dylan, one of my favorite artists, says, You gotta say somebody. Ever hear that one? It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. We all are serving somebody, something. Sorry, that really was a bad imitation of Bob Dylan. But the whole picture is, is we're born to worship. We're going to worship something. And if it's not God, it's going to be something else. It may be pleasure, it may be independence, it may be self-sufficiency, whatever it is. Away from God is something that we're called to step away from. And the eternal spiritual side of you uh, is something that we've got to pay more attention to. And I just want to encourage you, don't let church be the only place where you address the spiritual side of you. Don't let this place. That's why you need to take it with you. You need to take this word with you and have the Bible and have the Holy Spirit through the word of God work in your life. And that's where you need to pursue your spiritual side. Put as much interest into the development of your soul that you do in the development of your athletic abilities or your mental capabilities. That's how you combat it. And this, this battle is brought out even in 2 Corinthians as Paul addresses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I really want you to go there. So flip over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. And it kind of amplifies, it opens up what this battle's all about and how do we fight in a battle that is waging war against our soul. It says this, It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war. They're the same exact phrase is used as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So this is a picture that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it's a picture that you have weapons. God has given you weapons in order to fight against these sinful desires in life. It says, on the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here it is, every argument, every pretension, every picture of the self-importance in your life, any posturing that you do that's against Christ, we're to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's where Christ truly becomes our King, our Lord in life, that we follow His direction. And it's not about our agenda. It's not about our goals. It's about what God wants to do through us. That becomes huge. And then it talks about taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want you to underline the word, if you have your Bibles here, underline the word thought. Because that's the focus of this passage. Everything begins with a thought. We tend to respond to where we are faced with an action. You know, when you think of evil desire, you think about sin and you think about, boy, I shouldn't do that item or do that thing. You know, so for some of us, 
Some of us are struggling in our church with sexual immorality or with porn or with lust. Others are struggling with that next drink when you've been alcoholic or that next drug or that next word that you always struggled with gossip or you struggled with anger or that next materialistic angle. And here God is calling us to captive that thought. We like to think action. As long as I can keep away from that action, I'm, I'm going to be okay. So that's why we get a lot of Christians who go, yeah, I'm, I'm in the back seat with this guy and we're at a drive-in theater and we're wondering, I'd like to be a sexually pure person. <laughs> that's, that's the worst environment to make that decision. You got to make the decision as it enters as a thought. It's like when you have, I mean, I, I hate dandelions in my lawn, but I, you can't just go and pull out the flower of the dandelion and go, ha ha, no more dandelion. And, and kids do that. They go for the dandelion, you know, and they go out and they blow it and it, all the seeds scatter, you know. You, you got to go to the root of it and the root of every sin is a thought. You can't go, oh, Lord, forgive me from that. I'm really sorry that I did that without addressing the root of why is it that I go there? What is that thought that I entertain in my mind? Because the reality is, is that a thought leads to an idea that leads to a plan that leads to an action. If all our lives, if we could, if you could sit down with me with a real key issue that's happening in your lives, And you would say, man, this is keeping me from a relationship with God. This is just tearing out my soul. I can just feel it. I can feel when I do that thing or when I I go and I act in that way, I just know it's really against what God would want for me. That, That we could all go back to the thought. And temptation always deals with that thought. And so if we can cut it off and you can... Pick that and pull that out. The roots aren't that deep. So pull out, pull it while it's young. That's what I did yesterday. After all this rain, I went in my yard and because I'm a, uh, you know, I, I like a, the green freak kind of thing. And I, I went out and I, I pulled a bunch of weeds because they were all little weeds. They weren't big. Get the when the roots aren't spread out. So you can address them right away. And you need to go, as soon as that thought enters my mind, you got to take it captive. And is this obedient with Christ? Is this in line with what Christ would want for me? Because when you can start thinking like that, you don't entertain and it doesn't get a root to go in. So think about that thought. Take it captive. Because there's wounds that happen as a result of this war. This war that's waging against your soul. Number one, as I've looked in scripture, I found that the distracted life is a wound of war. A distracted life is more concerned about what gives me the greatest short-term pleasure regardless of the long-term cost. A distracted life is a, a life addicted to the next activity, to the next thing. This is life who thrives on being busy, thrives on being hurried, And thrives on instant gratification. As a result, the distracted life is very impatient. Some of the worst words you could ever hear are, the wait time on your call is approximately three minutes. We don't like to wait. And the distracted life is always looking for that next thing. 
It has no follow-through and faithfulness. Proverbs 5.22 verse 5.22 and 23 says this, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for a lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. It's the whole distracted life. He's just led astray, chasing after that next thing. And all along, he wanders further and further and further away from true north, where God is. We're called not to be distracted, but to be focused on Christ. Not distracted by everything around us. Folks, you live in a culture that has one of the shortest attention spans in the history of humanity. Instant pictures, instant thoughts, instant things. They can be yours today. Buy now, pay later, no payments till 2025. I mean, we go all into this kind of stuff. You gotta have it now. And we just keep distracting for the next thing. You're distracted from one thing. You're distracted from the truth. You're distracted from what is right. You're distracted from what is good. And we're called to be focused. That distracted life is a picture of that battle happening in you. Secondly, there's the drained life. You know, as I... um, I have dedicated my life in trying to be a help in aligning people with a right relationship with God. I want to be a spiritual leader that is constantly leading and moving people closer to the heart of God. And I would say that the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. When your life is hurried and you're busy... And you're just chasing after that next thing. If you are a hurried family that robs you of of that legacy that you need to build in your family. If you're a hurried marriage that robs you from communicating love and and to loving that person as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. If you're a hurried person in life, you can't see what God wants you to see. And that draining effect over time is is potent in its grasp of your heart and of your soul. David writes in Psalm chapter 40, verse 12, he says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Just someone overwhelmed by their sin, overwhelmed by a life that is out of control. It's another wounds of war. And finally, it's a picture of destruction. The destroyed life is another wound of war. Now, Proverbs 11.3 is a great verse that uh, I've just loved in life. It says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And duplicity, the, the, the duplicate life is, is when I'm saying I'm one thing, when I'm showing up for church and, and acting one way, and then when I'm going and I'm living another way. You see, that's where the evil desires just wage war against your soul, who you really are, rather than who you really could be in Christ. 
And that just rips out your soul. It does. It rages war against your soul. And the destruction of the decisions you've made get in the way of the rebuilding, the restoration, the redemption that we have through Christ. Those are wounds. And we're called to take captive all those thoughts that lead to a distracted, drained, and destroyed life. We're called to walk with God. The greatest mindset, the greatest attitude that allows the power of God to combat the power of Satan is this. Humility. Humility. When you are teachable by God, when you will follow him, when you will trust in him, even when you can't figure out all the things you'd want to figure out, when you can trust him enough to make that next decision with him, it leads to honor. Listen to this. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, Before his downfall, fall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Honor protects a life from evil. But it's not just a good defense that Peter gives us. He also gives us a good offense. And that's in verse 12. Let's take a look at that. Honor doesn't just protect a life from evil. It also reflects the goodness of God. Look at this in verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the the pagans. I want to talk to you about that because this is a balance of a thriving Christian life is the balance of protection and the balance of reflection. You aren't just called to abstain from those things. You're also called to move the ball forward and you're called to make a difference with goodness that's in your life through Christ. So that even on your worst day, when everyone around you is accusing you of wrong, they all, they, they, and honesty can't say, well, <laughs> they really did good. That even though people are accusing you, that those same people who accused you might also be people who Jesus wants to save. And that someday they would see from your life that God is good because you were good. That God is righteous and God is loving through your life. That they might glorify God on the day he visits us. See, this is the picture. Honor reflects this goodness. And as we are reflecting this, the goodness of God, how do we do that? There's two ways. One is we're called to engage the world with love. Look at this. It says, live such good lives. And if you'd underline this word, it would really make me happy. Among the pagans. Here's here's why that's important. Because some people believe that we are called to, to live such good lives around the pagans. But not among. And if I believe that, then I am to hear, I'm to live in Topeka, but not among Topeka. That we're here, but we're camping around the enemy. And the enemy is them. Folks, that's combative. We're not called to live around. We're called to live among. Other people said we're, we're supposed to see this and, and live lives to the pagans. 
And this perspective says that pagans are projects. They're, over, they're, they're people to be won over by my way of life. It's not really personal this way. And there's not a lot of love, but there's a ton of preaching, but not a lot of living. And we're concerned more about what they think of us than we are concerned about how they're responding to God. Others have said that we're to live such good lives away from the pagans. And this is where we build our holy huddle, you know, our spiritual cocoon in a church. And we basically say, you know, this is the world is going to hell in a handbag and we're going to heaven. So let's just lock the doors. Let's keep it pure in here. And our kids ought to make good decisions in here. We better not have those bad kids in here. So our youth group and our children, we become purification zones because we don't want any of that in here. No, that's not what scripture says here. Scripture says, live among the pagans. Engage the pagans with truth and love of the gospel. Love people with the love of God. Represent Christ. Live it and give it away. Be engaged in the culture, not disengaged in the culture. Be active, not passive. But do it with the perspective of goodness and the glorification of God. Those two things are throughout here. We're not called to get drunk with the pagans. We're not called to go out and do whatever anyone's doing apart from God. That's not what this is talking about. We're calling to live this goodness, live and reflect who God is out in a pagan environment and to make a difference there. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, we're charged. We're not just called to engage the world with love, but we're charged to transfer a godly legacy. And that godly legacy says this, that people might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Not glorify Joe or glorify Mary or glorify Ken, but glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, this was right from the legacy that Jesus gave Peter. It sounds like I've heard this before when I read it, right? And it is because you have heard it before. If you've read the Bible, you've gone to Matthew chapter five, verse 16, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do someone light a lamp and hold it under a bowl. But they put it on its stand so everyone can see it. In the same way, let your light so shine that people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That was a legacy that Jesus gave to each of his disciples. And it was a legacy not just of truth, but also of grace. And we were called into it. We're called into doing the same. And, and as I look at this, we need to say this and live it and give it away. We need to keep our spiritual legacy of true north importance for our marriages, for our parenting, in our relationships, in our ambitions, in our, as a success indicator, as a fulfillment in life, a godly legacy. 
What does a godly legacy look like? Well, legacy has a massive power. It's a huge motivator in our lives. You are already pursuing a legacy. Whether or not you know it, all of us are moved by a legacy. Some of you are studying hard in school and trying to get good grades. So at the end of your experience in college or in high school, someone would go, wow, what an incredible academic legacy. We want them to make a difference in our college. Let's have them come to our college. Let's give them scholarships. So we pour all our time and energy into winning the scholarship or becoming the top of the class because that's our legacy. We want to be intelligent. We want to succeed in that capacity. Others of us are building a career legacy or a political legacy. And we're pursuing those things so that people will say, wow, what a great person that is. Others of us are pursuing our children and our children are our legacy, but it's not necessarily a spiritual legacy. We want our kids to succeed. And so our questions to our children are, how was school today? Did you get your homework done? And our comments are, well, did you win? And we can be athletically driven for a a legacy. But what scripture is calling all of us to is so that through our lives, the people around us, whether you're married to them, whether you work next to them, whether you live with them as your family, these are the people who you want to glorify God on the day he visits us. And so they're people that we need to transfer this spiritual legacy, this godly legacy. So just some questions that I've had to ask myself as I prepared for this message. What's my greatest interest with my spouse? What's your greatest interest with your spouse right now, if you're married? Because that will show you what kind of legacy you want to leave with them. And that will show you If it's selfish or if it's godly. Secondly, what do you spend the most time talking about with your child if you have one? That will be the direction of the legacy you're trying to build. How'd you do in school? Good. No homework? Good. Boom. End of conversation. I mean, I'm only saying that because that's what it's been like sometimes at the Hishma home. And I've looked at that and I've meant... We want to build a legacy, but without God and without a direction by his word, as long as my kids are good and moral, and as long as they do as they're told, they're doing okay. You know what? I'm called for so much greater than at the end of their time in my home. You're good. You do as you're told. Have a good time. You know, that's not the legacy I want to leave. I want it to be so much greater. I want them to see a man of God in my life. I want them to see a man who loves his wife and is faithful, who's shown them how to love their future wives. I want them to to see a man who moves towards patience, who runs to God when he makes a a mistake and admits it and turns from evil. That, that's the legacy I want to leave them. I want to I be a husband who his wife sees more of God with. I, I want to be a pastor that a church would see Christ reflected in me. 
that would be courageous enough to see what God, where God wants to take us and with the other leadership in here and with this congregation to go out and make a difference in this world and advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the legacy. And it won't happen if we're not intentional about it. If I don't wake up recognizing my role to heaven, my combat with hell, and the reflection of the goodness of God in my life, it will never happen. We'll just go through life, we'll check off 52 weeks a year, and we'll call it a a church. We have to be intentional about this. Because the war is against your soul. The soul of your life, your family, of our church, and of the greater church across the nations. That we have to be willing to seek to be honorable people, protected from evil, reflecting the goodness of God. Proverbs 22, 4 says this, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. It's a fitting passage because it's, it's our wonder and, and it's our pursuit of God where he calls the shots in our lives. We submit to him because he is a picture of honor. And when I want to be like him and when I reflect him and he is what I honor, Whatever he asks of me, I'm going to do. Wherever he wants me to go, I'm going to go. And he wants that with me, and he wants that with you. Honor empowers authority. You know, next week we're going to be talking about two words that our, that our, our, our culture hates. You ready for them? Authority and submission. If you don't honor God, you're never going to submit to his authority. And it's fitting that Peter calls us to move away from those things and become honorable people, turning away from sin, reflecting the goodness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word today has told us that the end game, the end result of all of our lives is so that people would see our good deeds and glorify you, not us. So Lord, we recognize that this is not about us, but it's about what our lives say about you. That's what matters. That's what's important. And so Lord, help us to empty ourselves from sinful desires to be filled with Christ and reflect him. Lord, move in us. Help us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Help us to reflect in each of our actions more of you and less of ourselves that you might receive the honor and the glory forever and ever, we pray. Amen.